Hello, and welcome to Season 2 of the Revenue Marketing Report powered by CaliberMind. Our goal on the RMR is to help marketers move from subject matter experts to strategic business partners. I'm your host, Kamala Thompson, and today I'm thrilled to introduce Drew Smith. Drew, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, I'm Drew Smith. I am the Director of Revenue Operations with Directive Consulting. And uh, my role is to uh, run the revenue operations practice and help our clients solve revenue, marketing, sales, and customer operations challenges. You're speaking my language. I love it. So uh, when we were talking initially, um, I think... So what I've observed in the market is traditionally operations had a had a limited career growth. You kind of you kind of hit uh, director level, maybe, but usually manager level, and then that was it. And I think I'm seeing a big shift in the market. Um, I've moved over to VP of marketing. I've seen other people do similar things in sales and marketing, and I kind of credit some of this to the amount of technology that our departments have to use now and the data data savviness associated with that. But also, I think revenue operations is kind of breaking up the landscape and helping us rethink things. How do you think being in revenue operations gives people kind of a competitive advantage in their career growth? Yeah, I think there's I think there's a couple of things that that come into play there. So number one, and you, you kind of hit on this uh, when you when you talked about your, yourself and your own career path there, is the data aspect of marketing now. You know, as as marketers get smarter and marketing as a discipline gets smarter and more data driven, you can't be a marketing leader anymore that doesn't understand data. If you do, you're at a competitive disadvantage and your organization is at a competitive disadvantage because your competitors are going to be using data. And so the the marketing leaders that don't understand data, they don't understand how to create data and curate data and collect data and how to use it and orchestrate it are, they're, they're starting to become, um, they're, they're, they're starting to become less of an advantage than they were previously, where, where, where marketers, traditionally marketing leaders were traditionally, you know, your brand people, a lot of times they come up from copywriting and things like that. And, and now that's great, you still need that, but marketing leaders also need to understand the data side of things. And if you're just not somebody that, that speaks data, you're, it's, it's, it's not good for the organization. So I think that's one thing. Uh, I think the other piece of the puzzle is, the, the fact that marketing, um, I'm going to come out and say it, this is, this is something that my old CEO used to say, is that uh, a lot of times marketing is viewed as the arts and crafts department of the organization. Oh, I've heard it over and over and over. <laughs> yeah. It drives me crazy, but yes, that's, that's the perception for sure. Yeah, and, and I think with, with revenue operations, you know, marketing's always wanted a seat at the table in terms of you know, the C-level and the board-level communications and conversations and the higher-level business strategy conversations. And when you're viewed as the, the arts and crafts department, you don't get that seat. And so as marketing is, is moving more towards revenue and marketers are, are being KPI'd on, on opportunities and deals and, and you know, marketing is starting to have to answer for those things, you, you need somebody that understands those operational processes. You need somebody that understands the sales side of the business. You need somebody that understands churn prevention and how to make sure that, that we keep the clients that we have. 
and, and how do we cross sell and upsell? Um, it's, it's been true forever. And I think it gets forgotten a lot is that it's, it's so much easier to sell to existing clients than it is to go out and get new clients. So if marketing is only focused on going out and getting new clients and not helping some of that customer cross sell, upsell and retention process, you're, again, you're at a competitive disadvantage if marketing is only thinking new logos. And so the, the revenue ops and just revenue approach to marketing now is, is creating some additional opportunities for marketing to kind of up level and, and, and raise their game and get, get a seat at the table that they haven't always had in the past. Yes, and I don't know if it's always going to be the case, but I had to take a huge career risk and become a content marketer practitioner after revenue operations to to merge both of those together in a leadership role. Mm -hmm. And I think I see that pretty consistently where you kind of have to prove yourself either as a salesperson or a marketing practitioner before you're considered for that management position. Mm -hmm. Time will only tell whether we can skip that practitioner piece and go straight to leadership if we're really competent in that area. Like it does, let's let's not completely discredit that marketing does have to have a creative bent to it. You do have to have a very uh, open mind to solving problems outside of the box. So just wanted to, there's some balance there for sure. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. You still have to have that, that creative uh, skill set in marketing. I mean, when you think of marketing, you don't think of great marketing processes. You think of great marketing advertisements and great marketing yes. creative. And you think of those those Steve Jobs moments where, you know, the 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 iPad or the iPod was what, like three million songs in your pocket. And that's I mean, that's brilliant advertising, right? And so oh, yeah. you still think of those things. But if you what I think gets lost a lot of the time is that just having that good creative, particularly on the B2B side, it's great. But if you can't deliver leads to sales, that creative just went nowhere, right? And so you have to have both disciplines. And I think that there's there's this uh, concept that operations doesn't involve creativity sometimes. Oh, it and totally think, does. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I create like I, I spend most of my day in Lucidchart creating these massive flowcharts. And there's a certain level of creativity to that. It's just a very different type of creativity. Um, and so you still need creativity. Uh, marketing has always needed creativity and always will need creativity. There will be no substitute for that, particularly when it comes to design and copy and things like that. But there's just there's other aspects now as well. So I, I totally agree with you in that we've seen it. Marketers under are under more pressure than ever to prove that what they're doing is resulting in bookings. I, I agree with you that it's not acceptable anymore not to know your numbers. But for those of those people out there, and there are a lot of people out there that are uncomfortable with numbers, what are things we can do to bridge that gap? For me, it's being able to find an analyst that can tell a story and really translate uh, what they're noticing in the numbers to what's happening both upstream and downstream. Have you seen other tactics work? Yeah, I mean, I think having a great analyst on staff or even just a good analyst on staff is, is a great way to help 
um, kind of demystify or or kind of remove the intimidation of working with numbers. Um, there's I, I've worked with several clients to try to simplify the the framework that I use with clients a lot of times is don't try to do too much with like real reports and dashboards. Simplify. Start with a simple, narrow question that you're trying to ask of the data. Start with a question like, how many leads did we generate last month? I don't care how good or bad you are with numbers. That's a pretty easy starting point, right? Like everybody should be, everybody in marketing should be able to read a report that tells us how many leads we created last month. That's your starting point. Then you can add a little bit of complexity to it and say something like, okay, great. How many leads did we create last month from our different channels? Now, all you did was add one little variable, which is your channels. Again, this is really simple. Not diff People that are bad at numbers should still be able to work with that type of a report. So start with simple questions and then add a little bit of complexity to add additional context, but always keep framing it in the form of a question. Because if you're good with words and not numbers, you should still be able to create questions, right? Uh -huh. And so that to me is like the easy way for people that aren't great with numbers or might be a little intimidated by numbers to kind of start dipping their toes in the waters and getting used to it and starting to figure out, hey, this, is, this isn't as intimidating as I thought it would be. You don't need to go from zero to regression analytics <laughs> like overnight. Like that's, that's intimidating even for, for people that are good with numbers. So let's just, just go stay simple, baby steps and get more and more comfortable. So I, I want to emphasize two things I hear you saying. One is own some humility and be comfortable with what you don't know. So it's okay if you're not great with numbers. If you're fantastic with branding and copy, awesome. We need everyone at a company in order to make it work. Be forthright about hey, I, I saw you really emphasizing that and I'm not sure why you think that's important. Can we talk about it? Be okay with admitting that. And then number two, asking the right question is so critical because your analyst is going to do backflips to try to answer whatever you ask them. And if you go to them, and I use this example all the time with, is marketing working? <laughs> and you don't, drill it down into the area you're concerned about. So I'm getting asked by my executive team, we're spending a lot of budget on paid advertising. I'm not really able to articulate whether or not that's that's moving through the funnel. Can you dig into this? That's a much better question. <laughs> so yeah, I really like those points. Yeah, I think that's that's part of the problem with like that, that a lot of marketers have that particularly marketers that that aren't super comfortable with numbers is they tend to ask, they tend to say very broad things like, is marketing working? Um, give me a, give me a report that, that give me one dashboard that tells me everything I know, need to know about how marketing is performing. Well, m is marketing working and how is marketing performing? It's not specific enough for anybody to create a report or dashboard around. Cause what does that mean? Those two terms are very ambiguous. 
And so the more we can be specific and narrow, the easier it becomes for that analyst to just, I, I mean, it takes 10 minutes to spin up a report that's very, very narrow and specific usually. So it's very easy to do that. So we have to, we have to stop being like broad and ambiguous and be very, very narrow and specific in order to get kind of the best value out of our reporting and data. And what's interesting about that is I, as a leader, really only care about five metrics and how they compare to prior periods. And then I expect my team to be able to fill in why that variation over time isn't looking good or why it's looking especially good all of a sudden. So, and those are early indicators like engagement and lead volume and then pipeline revenue. I lied, I really only care about four. <laughs> well, in marketing's percentage contribution. So mm -hmm. I, I care mm -hmm. about five, yes. Um, and then I rely on team members to be able to dig in more. Can I dig in more on my own? Absolutely, but I don't expect every marketing leader to have to do that. Um, do you agree with kind of delegating responsibility for owning your functional area and understanding what metrics you should be watching as a functional leader? Yeah, I mean, I look at it, um, a lot of times I look at it in terms of like a, a, a pyramid for reporting. And so at the very top of the pyramid is like the executive level reporting which should really answer questions like what, what's happening? Like, you know, what is, what is marketing? What types of opportunities is marketing creating? What types of deals are, is marketing influencing? You know, what's the percentage of marketing, uh, marketing's influence on, on opportunities and bookings? Those what questions start at the top of the pyramid. And that's what executives care about. And then the next level down is the, the questions that you're going to ask that when you look at the what, you're going to ask questions that say, well, how did this happen, right? And then that's the question for the next level in the organization to be able to answer um, at the you know director or VP level that's going to say, hey, I own my area of responsibility, so I should be able to answer the how question. How did this happen, right? And then the next level down is more of the like why questions. And the why questions are at that kind of manager director level, even more granular, right? Into really almost diagnostic level reporting is down at that why level. And so every level of the organization and each department in the organization needs to own their metrics and their reporting. And so I always look at it kind of like a pyramid in that, in that manner. Oh, wow. So marketers listening to this, if you're not comfortable with data, it's time to get there. Uh, classes, work with your peers, tap an analyst and on your team and say, hey, I know you give me these numbers and that's great. I want to understand them in more depth so I can maybe go off on my own and dig into stuff. You're going to do yourself a huge favor because as we've been saying over and over, marketing leadership has to know the numbers and speak to them and be comfortable with them. They don't necessarily need to find them. Somebody can do that for them, but they need to understand and be able to apply context to what the analyst is calling out. How do you think operations professionals can help the people um, that they have a dotted line to if they're in revenue operations or perhaps report directly to if they're not in revenue operations? 
Yeah, I mean, I think one is that that data analysis layer, right? I mean, from a from an operation standpoint, we should we should know the the basic concepts of statistical analysis. Um, it doesn't mean that you need to know you know data science level things like regression analytics or, or analytics or or calculus or anything like that. Um, if you just know the basics of statistical analysis. Um, the difference between mean and median, you know, how to calculate a percentage increase, how to calculate a win percentage, like those things are pretty basic level statistics. You don't need a doctorate to understand those. Um, so that's number one is, is being able to do some of that statistical analysis. Um, I also think that the, the creation and curation of data is, is critical and that's where operations comes, plays a huge role. Um, you know, I was just at the the Drift Flash conference, and one of the things that kept coming up in almost every single speaker was talking about data. And you'd think in 2022, we wouldn't still have to keep bringing up the need for good, rich, quality data, but we do. And it's because so many organizations think you can just back into good data instead of having an intentional data creation and curation process. And so operations people really should be the folks that are in charge of creating a solid data strategy and making sure that not only are we getting you know the data that, that that people submit on forms but we're also creating data and making sure that when when somebody moves through the funnel that we're able to track that right that's data that you create on your own that's not data that anybody's giving to you all you have to do is create the process and enable the technology to do it, and you can do it. So the ops folks are the ones that really kind of hold the best practices and the keys to know how to do that. And so they should be empowered to, to own the data that marketing and sales and customer ops are creating so that they can help make sure that we have that good, rich data. And that in, in by the time we get to 2023, we still aren't having to have conversations at, at conferences about the importance of good, rich, actionable data. Yeah, I would say we've been talking about data-driven marketing for over a decade, and we're now just seeing people start to embrace it, if we're being really honest with ourselves. And it's so critical that people speed up that trend because... Mm -hmm. Data privacy laws aren't going to make things any easier. You need to track your opt-ins. You need to be able to purge data. You have to be on top of it. And then the, the privacy first initiatives that some browsers and OSs are taking on, it's going to make first party data collection even more important. And if you don't have that all rigged up, you are burning money in your parking lot. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, there's it's, it's funny because uh, there's whole industries that exist that still have not gotten on the data bandwagon. And you have these legacy industries that have been around for, you know, over a hundred years and they still operate like it's a hundred years ago and they don't even barely use CRMs. And one of those organizations in that industry is going to be the first one to embrace data. And when they do, they're going to have a massive competitive advantage over their competitors. And they're going to just mop the floor with them. And it's only going to be because they embraced data and took a data-driven approach. And their competitors are going to sit there wondering, well, why are we getting 
our butts kicked every single day, every single week. We're three steps behind. We're late to every deal. How? Totally agree. And I think people who have waited, you know, unfortunately, they're going to be rewarded a bit for it because data management is easier than it's ever been. I I think back to when I first started as a Salesforce admin in 2007 and, <laughs> and merging records and all of that was just so painful. And now it's all automated if you wish it to be and can uh, develop the proper rule structures in order to do that. So there really isn't an excuse anymore to dive in. Like you no longer have to argue for the uh, interns the, the flock of interns to come in and manually clean stuff up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they still serve a purpose. <laughs> and we still do that oh, sometimes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I remember, I, I mean, if we're going to talk about 2007, I remember in 2007, I was coordinating 120 trade shows a year. And we had no way of determining if those trade shows were creating or influencing a nickel because the software didn't exist at the time. Like there was no, there was no software that could do, I mean, marketing automation was still in its infancy. Salesforce was still, I mean, Salesforce was fairly common, but like at best Salesforce could do campaign influence reporting at the time, which is, I mean, flawed. Kinda. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, and we're still. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, people are still using campaign influence. And I mean, some people are still not even using campaign influence. But like, there's, I would have, I mean, I would have, I would have done cartwheels and I cannot do cartwheels, but I would have done cartwheels if I could have been able to tell that any of those trade shows that we create, that I was, you know, managing created a single dime for the company. And now it's, it's, it's actually pretty easy to do. Like, there's just some best practices that are pretty well established and the software does it. And I mean, it's easy. Yeah. Yeah. Load your lists as soon as possible, get multi-touch attribution and things get a lot easier. And I think trade shows and webinars are probably the biggest use case for multi-touch attribution because you're dealing with so many in-flight deals. Like I remember back in the day when I was in marketing operations, a field marketer calling and crying because she had lead gen benchmarks and that's all she was judged against and she had one of the biggest trade shows and the salespeople spent all of their time making appointments with existing customers and people who were already in flight and those are the meetings they had yeah and it helped close a ton of revenue but if you're just looking at lead gen metrics it sure looked awful yeah yeah and i mean that's only that's only what percentage of the funnel? I mean, that's that's the very start of the funnel, and that's it. So, I mean, it's 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 so much easier now, and there's 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 really there's really no excuses not to be just embracing a data driven approach these days. I love it. I love <laughs> it. So, for those managers out there working with operations professionals, how? How can they make operations life easier? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think the most challenging thing about operations life, uh, at least from what I hear, is a couple of things. Number one, um, uh, not having res proper resources, not having proper technology, and um, 
a lack of, of good, strong prioritization. Usually, uh, usually, and, and I disagree with this wholeheartedly, so I'm not, I'm not saying this is a good way to approach things, but usually marketing operations is, or revenue operations, is one of the last people to be brought into executing a strategy of some sort. And it's almost like they get pulled in at the very end when the strategy's fully baked, fully baked, and then said, hey, go build this, go do this thing. And it's like, hey, um, half the time, half the stuff in the strategy can't even be executed on because the technology doesn't do it. And so RevOps and marketing ops need to be brought in earlier in the process, considered a partner in strategy creation, and there needs to be a really strong level of prioritization because how many times does marketing ops, RevOps get asked to do something and it's like, well, I needed this yesterday. Well, you should have sent it yesterday. Um, but I mean, ultimately, if everything's an emergency, then marketing ops and rev ops doesn't actually get to add value to the process. They don't get to flex their strategic muscles and make things better. All they're doing is doing the bare minimum because they have no time to do anything. And so prioritization being brought into the process much earlier so they can enhance the strategy and resources. Um, I heard a quote, I read a quote the other day that I, eh, not the other day, it was probably about a month, two months ago or so, that just sticks in my brain. And it's so applicable to marketing ops and rev ops. And the quote is, there's never enough money to do it right, but there's always enough money to do it twice. Yes, yes. Let's bring a consultant in instead of hiring the headcount and spend three times... Yes, I totally agree. And this is, we're veering towards a rant session because <laughs> one thing I would add to that list is stop buying technology in a vacuum. Strategy drives technology, not technology driving strategy. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's funny as marketers, and I will put myself in this bucket, we are so susceptible to marketing, but it behooves us all to slow down and figure out if it even integrates with our tech stack and, and mm -hmm. does what it says it does because there's a lot of vaporware out there. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. A lot of promises that get made that um, just can't possibly be lived up to. One of the things that, that I would say is, is if for marketers that, that particularly in operations, marketing ops, rev ops that want to advance their careers, um, there's two pieces, uh, two things that I would highly recommend doing. Number one, Go sit in sales for a little while. Be a, a carrier of a quota, even for just a little while. Um, I started my career in B2B sales for three and a half years. And I can tell you that it has helped me immensely, particularly in my marketing ops and rev ops portion of my career. Because being able to empathize and with sales and SDRs, I mean, people that are doing cold calls and are being asked, you know, to spend 15, 20 minutes for every lead that they process, just curating and creating data, like the ability to empathize with those folks and be able to help take some of that stuff off their plate through automation um, and being able to speak their language. It's, it's incredibly useful uh, in, in operations. Um, that's number one. It also helps you, it also helps because one of the biggest challenges that, that we see 
when I'm when I'm working with a an operations professional and I'm trying to get them to help move them up the ladder in my organization, one of the biggest challenges that we have is there's a lot of people out there that are really good at the tool and getting a lot of value out of the tool, but they they aren't great at connecting what they're doing in the tool to the larger business objectives and being able to do more in the tool to achieve those business objectives. And sitting in sales for a little while will help you understand that. It will, period. Um, so I think sitting in sales for a little while is something that every marketer should do, but particularly those in operations. Um, I, think it's, I think it's a huge benefit and way to accelerate uh, your, your journey. Yeah, and if, if you don't want to commit to a full-time job as a salesperson, ask for five accounts, prospect them. It's a great way to create empathy and understand how hard it is for these folks to do their job before we get in there and focus on technical efficiency instead of usability. Love it. Yeah, I, absolutely. I, I love that because I actually prospect myself and... I don't need to do it, but I want to because I need to understand what's working and what isn't. Mm -hmm. So totally agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think it's, it, I, I can't stress enough how important it is. Um, the other thing that, that I would recommend to a lot of ops professionals is, um, and this one seems a little bit weird. <laughs> it's a little bit out there, but I promise you it'll help, um, is, I know a lot of marketing ops and rev ops professionals kind of have that same mentality as like the traditional tech nerd that they're a little introverted. They don't, they don't want to get on meetings. They don't want to get out and be visible to either clients or to sales or to other folks. Um, and you're, you're going to struggle if you're, if that's you. So, one of the things that I recommend to a lot of people is take an improv class at a community college. Yes. Or I was going to say Toastmasters, but that's even better. Toastmasters is that's great too. Better. But I think like taking an improv class is it's, it's so important to being able to speak publicly and confidently. Toastmasters too. Like either one would be great. But that ability to speak publicly, speak confidently, you know, express your your opinions in a meeting without fear of judgment, without fear of ridicule, uh, because there's a lot of time for marketing ops and rev ops professionals miss opportunities to insert themselves earlier in the process because they tend to because sometimes not all, but some tend to sit back and not want to interject an opinion in a meeting where they can insert themselves. Yeah. You miss that opportunity sometimes. Yeah. And two things there. Some folks don't want to climb the ladder. And I, I think that's totally fine. We need folks Absolutely. who are uh, just efficiency masters who can just dig in. But I will say if you're not networking and you're not jumping in you really can't get mad about opportunities that didn't land in your lap. They don't, it doesn't work that way. You have to work mm -hmm. really hard. You have to interject opinions and you have to fight for your position to be heard. 
and then you can get upset. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. If you're if you're out there and you're you're speaking up in meetings and you're you're, you know, networking and doing those things and you're not getting ahead, then yeah, you have every right in the world to complain. But if you're sitting back and letting opportunity pass you by and not speaking your mind in a meeting so that people know that you have all these wonderful things to contribute to the team, that's your fault. Nobody else's. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes you have to move out to move up, but we need to take ownership of our own uh, futures. So absolutely, Drew, this has been so great. I feel like we could talk for hours, but I need to let you go. So where can people <laughs> find you online to network? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I am on LinkedIn. Um, it's it's Andrew and then Drew in parentheses Smith. I know Smiths are hard to find, so. Uh, I'm with Directive Consulting. Should be pretty easy to find that way. Um, I'm also on Twitter. I think it's, if I remember correctly, I think it's at Smitty Marketing. Um, so you can find me there, but I don't tweet about marketing ops as much as I tweet about sports. Um, so yeah, uh, but that's uh, those are the two best places to find me. Um, and, uh, and then obviously the Directive website where uh, I read a lot of blog articles. So. Wonderful. So for those of you listening, if you enjoy the podcast, rate, review, subscribe, and tell a couple friends about it. If you have ideas for shows or just want to rant about something and have us read it online, send it to hello at calibermind.com. And thanks so much for listening. 